Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Sunday Sermon. For more information about Highest Praise Church, upcoming events, and other helpful resources, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Sherwood Lancaster. We're, we're talking about, it's Valentine's, so it's Valentine's Day, it's Children's Dedications Day, and we've been right in the middle of a preparational for the end time study. And it's like, God, you got a sense of humor. How in the world am I going to take, you know, the, the, the tribulation and, uh, and, and you know, everything that we've been seeing, you know, come, come, you know 75% of the population of the world is going to be completely killed before the first three and a half years of tribulation. And then here's Valentine's and here's children dedication. How are we going, how are we going to talk about the love of God that way? But we're going to, we're going to do that because the, the title today is If God is Love. If God is Love. And that's one of the things we want to look at if God is love and try to figure this thing out. So in Deuteronomy 29, I'm in Deuteronomy 29 and 29. And in Deuteronomy 29 and 29, I'm just going to talk a little bit about and, and, and go over some things that will probably get you thinking. But I believe it's going to get a response as well. So Deuteronomy 29 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. The main thing here I want us to look at is that first line. The secret things belong to the Lord. We have to understand that there's some things about God that makes sense to an all-knowing God that makes no sense to us. We have to understand that. There's some things that make sense to an all-knowing God that makes absolutely no sense to us. So I'm going to hit the ground running this way. And y'all just had to follow me this morning. <clears throat> it's kind of like sin. We know when sin began. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 38 tells us. We see in Genesis it happens because Adam and Eve was tempted in the garden by the devil. And we saw this happen. And so we see sometimes around the foundations of the earth. We don't know when, how close. But we know around the foundation of the earth that sin came into being. You say, well, yeah, we know it came into being because of Satan. And before he was Satan, he was Lucifer. Well, before he was Lucifer, he was part of the trilogy of the archangels. There was three cherubim angels that had the title of archangel. And there were Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And we always see threes. Anytime you see three, you see God's hand upon it because God operates in threes. When he operates in threes, you see that there's a definitive upon that three. That's why you see the outer court, inner court, most holy place. You see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see spirit, soul, and body. You see the things that, you know, whenever you see that, that with threes, and so you see Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And so God was doing something powerful with them. But we know when Lucifer rebelled and of course he later become satan the devil because of his rebellion against god so, so my point is is that we know when we just don't know how because how in a place called paradise did evil begin now i know y'all don't talk sit around thinking about stuff like this but i do and so how did it begin because you say well it came from the devil well, where did the devil get it from? It originated in heaven with the devil. So how did it originate? We know when, but we don't know how. 
I mean, was it, I mean, was it, is it, is it like, you know, COVID that, you know, some Chinese guy was walking in the backyard and a, dude, and a bat came and bit him on the neck. Next thing you know, everybody's going to deal with this COVID stuff. Is that what happened? God has some deranged bat flapping around in heaven and he was full of sin. He bit Lucifer and all of a sudden, you know, he becomes Satan. <laughs> we don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Just deal with that. Don't need to explain that. But the Bible said, the Bible says right here that there are secret things that belong to the Lord God that we just don't know. There are some things in the all-powerful, all-knowing God knows that we just do not know. And how do we, how do we rationalize evil, which is an uh, irrational thing? There's nothing rational about evil. There's no logical, there's no reasonable explanation to evil. You see, evil is just not rational. But yet we want a rational explanation to something that is irrational. And so God does not explain to us how evil came to being. You can't blame it on Lucifer because, yeah, he the one that took it and went with it, but where did it come from? We don't know, but God knows. He doesn't even tell us a little bit about it. We know nothing about it. Not because he's trying to be hard to get along with, but maybe because of in his love and kindness, he realizes there's some things with our limitations we just can't handle. It's kind of like your children. You don't explain everything to your children. And there's some things that they don't understand and they say, what is going on? And instead of giving them partial truths to what they can understand, which they would take as a whole and then probably change and mold the way they think forever, you just don't tell them anything about it. It's called good parenting. I don't know about you, but I've told my children a lot of times, you know, uh, not right now. You're, you're just, have you ever heard this? I know it was told me, definitely back in my day, you're just not old enough right now to understand that, so you just shut up. Now, why? But I want to know. Or they try to Google it or whatever. No, man, you just can't. You don't understand. So you don't tell them everything about what's going on because they won't get it. In their limitation of the immaturity of their minds, they just can't handle it. It's the same thing with God. I'm just going to put it this way. So the origin of sin, we just got to put up how it started. We just can't handle it right now. And so God not only doesn't tell us a little bit about it, he tells us nothing about it. But just like our children, when they grow up and they mature and they get in our presence, they figure it out one day when they get to the point that they can understand it. Just like there's a lot of things that God is keeping from us that we don't understand, but one day as long as we hang out with him, we'll be in his presence. And when we get in his presence, everything we don't know on this side of heaven, we'll know and understand it completely. Okay, so that kind of goes into my next thing then. And so my next thing is, is that we've got to deal with is that I went to Luke 6 and verse 22. And in Luke, Luke chapter number 6 and verse 20, 22 and 23, I'm basically going to paraphrase here, and it says this. Jesus says that when his followers hunger and they weep and are hated and insulted, we should rejoice because great is going to be your reward in heaven. And that's what he says in Luke 6, 22 and 23. 
that regardless, tell me as believers here, even though you hunger, even though you weep, even though you are hated, even though you are insulted, we should rejoice because great is going to be our reward in heaven. In contrast, if you continue to read Luke 6, 24 and 25, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. So what's the point? The point is, is that God has a two-point solution to the problem of God's people suffering and wicked people presently prospering. That's what he's dealing with right now. Why is it that, why is it it seems like that, that those that are, those that are, that, that are believers, we, we, we having a battle, we're the punchline, the jokes, and, and we're having a struggle, we having to make sure we know what's right and what is wrong, and people who don't even call upon the name of the Lord, even darken the church doors or read their Bible, they're prospering. We don't, what's the point? Well, God has a two-point solution to that problem as to why wicked prosper here on earth and that the righteous sometimes do not prosper for it means to be accepted in this world and that two point solution is heaven and hell it's Valentine's Day and children dedication he's bringing up the word hell oh yeah we are because you can't talk about the love of God without talking about it and so the two point solution is heaven and hell the life to come flows out of this one thing Believers who are suffering comprise only a tiny part of their life experience as it relates to the continuing life that we have forever. In other words, whatever you're going through right now in life, the trials, the tribulations, the sickness, the rebellion, the insults, the man, is it really worth it and all this kind of stuff? Man, what the Bible says is that what you're going through right now in this life is just a tiny part compared to the glory that you're going to experience when you get to heaven. Even Romans says, even Romans says, the book of Romans says that, he says, I guess that this glory that the glory that this present sufferings are not compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, with, with the very worst day, the very worst situation that you can find yourself into, it does not even compare to the glory and the presence and the splendor of what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. In other words, if you would write a book on sufferings, of the sufferings of the saints, and you left out heaven and all of its splendor, then you would have left out part of the whole that belongs to our life. Because we think that this is life. And it is life. But this is just a small portion of life. See, we, we, we see life we see life as, and it is, we see life as we work, we rest, we play, and we relate to each other. That's life. But then we, we, we get freaked out because we think the afterlife deals with a disembodied spirit that has absolutely nothing to do with what we embody right now. That the afterlife, we're just going to be some kind of floating spirit that doesn't rest and doesn't play and doesn't relate to each other. Which is not true. It's actually it's different because in the eternal life for believers, we have, 
we have what you call eternal life. That means we don't, we're not disembodied spirits. We are embodied spirits. What are you embodied with? A resurrected body. Follow me, man. You have a resurrected body. When you leave this earth here, either by death or rapture, this corruption puts on incorruption. This mortality table is taken off. And now all the mortality tables are taken off. And now you don't have a disembodied spirit. You have a resurrected body. And you get to enjoy all the fun, all the play, and all the the, 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 the revelation that you have and the recreation with other people and respond with other people, you're just doing it with a resurrected body. And the life doesn't end here. It doesn't even begin here. Put it this way. We call eternal life the afterlife. What we really should do is call what we're in right now the before life. Come on, Christians. We got to get this thing. I'm going to wait for the afterlife. I'm going to do the best I can with this life because in the afterlife, I'm just going to float around like a little floating flower or something other and, you know, have really no function whatsoever. No, it's not. You're going to relate to the same dimensions that you have now, but you're sort of being embodied in a, in a decapitated and a, and a decaying body. You're going to be embodied into a dimension of a resurrected body that's going to live and forever and ever and ever with God. And so, that's life. This is before life. Because the life we're going to live when we're raptured or when we leave this earth and we take our last breath, everything that God had intended in the very beginning is not this. Everything that God has intended in the very beginning is what we're going to experience the first second in eternal life. This is before life, church. We're getting ready for the afterlife. But it's not the afterlife. It's where life begins. Yeah, but preacher, you understand, man, we got to get this thing right because we only go around this thing once. We only go around this world one time. And so we got to grab, we got to get we got to do whatever we got to grab and got to get and got to do because we'll go around one time. You will only go around one time if you're an unbeliever and you're on your way to hell. But if you're a believer, when you leave this earth, either through the rapture or through death, I got good news for you. You got a second go round. Oh, got your thinking camp song today. Put them on. Strap it in. You're not. The only the person that's going to hell, only the person that's going through a tribulation like I've been explaining to you here these last couple of weeks are not coming back. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to, you don't have to be self-humanistic. You don't have to grab whatever you got to grab. It's not just up to you, me, and a few. Man, because guess what? You're, going, you're coming back again. And the second time we're coming back, Revelation 19 said we're coming back with Jesus Christ. And we come back with Jesus Christ. We're going to rule and we're going to reign with him forever and ever and ever. Not not in just any kind of life, but in the life that God intended for us to have in the garden with Adam and Eve before they sinned. 
But if you don't believe in what, you, if you don't believe in the love of God, then you've only got one time around here, and you better make the best out of it because you're not coming back. But those of us believers, it's like talk about us. Don't get what we say. Don't understand it. Make fun of me. Even if I didn't get the job. Even if I'm not on your social club. Even things ain't lined up the way I got it. I got news for you. This isn't my only round. I got a second round coming. And I promise you, the first one might not be exactly the way I want it. But according to this Bible right here, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Unless you're a believer, you're not coming back. You better woe to the people who's got one go around. You better make it the best you can. Get everything you can. Take whatever you can. And a Use everything you can because you're not coming back. But as for me in this house, we're coming back, brothers and sisters, and we're coming back to the fullness of the intention that God has for us. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. The problem is, is that our culture defines a love in God as a completely unconfrontational being that tolerates anything that we want to do. Do you hear what I just said? This culture which we live right now identifies God as a being that is non-confrontational. And he tolerates everything I want to do. That's how most of you parent. I'm trying to infuse three things going on here at one time. End times, Valentine's, child dedication. Well, God is just non-confrontational God, and he tolerates me. God, he knows me. He realized that this cussing problem I have and this womanizing problem I have, he just tolerates it. Because that's what he does. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. The Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 16, this literally says that God is love. That means that he does not possess love as we do. What does that mean? It means that the very definition of love is therefore God cannot do anything that is unloving. If God is love, then God cannot do anything that is unloving. I'm going to say it three times. Since we're three. If God is love, and 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. For God has for us, God is love. The law of contradiction says that something cannot be true and false at the same time. So God cannot be love and at the same time be unloving. It contradicts each other. Some can't be true and false at the same time. That's a contradiction. God does not contradict himself. Well, God is love. But when he does this, that's unloving. It's a contradiction. It breaks every law of contradiction. God, if he is a love is not something that he does. Love isn't something he possesses. Love is who he is. And you cannot be love and unloving at the same time. Either you are or you're not. And God is love. And there's nothing about him 
that is unloving. But the idea that people go to hell is an unloving act on God's part. Who's ever heard that? Preacher, you up there talking about mountains falling on people and crazy demons coming out of the earth and biting people. They crying out for death and can't die in plagues and 75% of the world's population is going to die. I mean, I'll just tell you, I just don't, I, I, I unlo- that's an unloving, that's a love, unloving act of God. Hmm. People going to hell. All tribulation is is getting people ready for hell. That's why you're not going through tribulation because you don't have to get ready for hell because you're not going. If humans decide that God is somehow wrong to allow unrepentant sinners to pay their deserved penalty, then really what we're doing, we're declaring that we are more loving than God is. God should not send people through that tribulation. That's why I don't even read the book of Revelation because that is not a loving God. That's an unloving God to send people through that kind of tribulation. Well, then what you're saying is is that you're more loving than God is because you know more about love than God does. If God sends somebody to hell, then, then my goodness, he's not, he's not a loving God. Because I know, you know what you just did? You made yourself, watch this, God's judge and God's jury. God, I'm judging you right now. And if you send one person to hell, if you allow one person to go through this tribulation, if this preacher is right and everything's going to go on and you're going to allow, and you could take us out of here, but you're not, then you are unloving God. Then you're saying you're more loving than God is and you are God's judge and you're his jury. And you have judged him and you have sentenced him and said you're not a loving God, you are unloving God. You have just removed yourself from ever receiving any more deeper understanding of who God is. But to understand why God does what he does come from this one fact that regardless of what happens, regardless of what you don't understand, because the Bible says some things that God understands because he is an omnipotent, powerful God and some things we don't understand, but we always have to come back down to this conclusion. I don't understand it, but God is love. And everything he does, he does out of love. And there's nothing in him that is unloving. And if you can't grab hold of that, then you will not make it. But what I'm preaching to you today is your life source. God is love. I'm a pastor. I live this every day. There's things I get up and I have to go to people's houses. I have to meet behind doors of people. I have to show up at places. And as I'm walking into that thing or walking away, I say, God, I don't get this one. God, I don't understand this one. God, I don't know how this good thing is bad things can happen to good people but I have to make sure I don't lose sight of the fact that you are a loving God and there's nothing unloving about you and whatever you do there's love in it I don't understand it right now but I will not let myself forget that you are love everything that he does is an expression of his perfect love Sending people to hell is, a, is an expression of his perfect love. Allowing people to go through tribulation is an expression of his perfect love. Anyway, so maybe you didn't do that one, but how about this one? It concerns the word sin. 
how can God send someone to hell? If God is love, why do some people go to hell? How? Come on, church. Don't get on your holy roller bucket right now. Let's just, just, let's just deal with it. If God is love, how can he send someone to hell? How can God send somebody through a tribulation in which I've been teaching you here today? Well, the problem has to do with this word right here. S-E-N-D, sin. Sin. Sin means that it has absolutely positive nothing to do with the recipient. Can I preach to two today? Because I need to. Sin. He sinned them. He sinned them. Sitting on straight to hell is what that pastor said down there at that church. Sin. How dare he? Sin. Oh, wait a minute. I got a message. Somebody just sent me a text. Oh, it's God. Dear Pastor Sherwin, you're going to hell. Ah! Are you serious? What did you do? I didn't do nothing. I just got sent to hell. What did you say? Heaven! You got sent to heaven and I got sent to hell? That ain't right. I didn't do nothing. I just sent. He just sent. I mean, I get phone calls all the time. Spam. I don't, I don't need another car warranty. Quit calling me. It just rings. They send it to me. I, 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 I had nothing to do with it. So if we're going to use the word sin, sin, that denotes that I am just a passive victim. Somebody just sent me a bad note. I didn't ask for it. I don't know who it is. But they sent it to me. God doesn't send you to hell. God doesn't send you through tribulation. People are not a passive victim. You choose. You choose. You choose. Choices changes circumstances. And you can choose what you're going to do. We, we have to understand here that this, this, is, this, isn't going, this is not going away. We under, understand that the word sin cannot be applied to the question at hand because God has given human beings freedom to participate in their life choices and eternal destination. You have a right today to choose. You're not just going to get a text on your deathbed. Oh, there's a, what are you doing? Well, they can't die yet. We haven't got the text. They're going to heaven. Oh, there it is. Oh, going to hell. Ah. Didn't do anything. Yeah, maybe that's half the problem. A person going to hell and a person that is going through tribulation is not a passive victim. Listen to this. I got, I got, we got to land this plane here in a hurry. Listen to this. God judges each of us according to the truth he has given us. God judges us according to the truth that he has given us. 
You're getting a lot of truth right now, and God's going to judge you on this truth today. You are not a passive victim. You've got a choice to make right now. Either you're going to live for God or you're going to live for the world. Either you're going to believe that God is a good God and he's a loving God or he's not. You know what the atheist says? The atheist does not believe in a loving God. You want to know why? Because the atheist suppresses the truth. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says that the world is without excuse because the truth is always there. And the truth is always, the problem is not that the truth isn't there. The problem is, is that people suppress the truth. They don't want the truth. The atheist suppresses the truth. You want to know why? Because he says in his mind, in his world, he don't want a deity like this. He does not want a God. He doesn't want a loving God, an all-powerful God, an omniscient God. He does not want that. And so he suppresses all truth about a God, and he creates himself a world that he does not belong into the truth. It's not that the truth hasn't been given to him. It's just the fact that he has suppressed the truth. Romans states that each one of us have enough truth to turn rather towards him than away from him. Well, how about, how about the Ethiopian dude out there in the backside of the wilderness desert that it takes missionaries three days just to get back there to where they are and what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? Let me tell you something. God will appear to them if it's nothing more than the wind that blows by their faith. And he said, I wonder where that wind came from. And God speaks to him and says, I'm the God of that wind. And says, I received that God of that wind. They're going to be judged on that truth. Just like you will be judged on the truth that you sit in a padded pew with a temperature at 70 degrees listen to a preacher with a tie on and telling you that if you go to hell you will not be sent to hell you'll go through tribulation not because you're sent to tribulation you'll do it because you will suppress every word I said today and continue to live the same life that you lived before you came in here and whether you go to hell or whether you go through tribulation or whether you're raptured I'm here to declare to you that God is still a loving God and he cannot be unloving it cannot be. Oh, I wish I was like you, Peter. Just explain stuff. I uns- I, there, there's more things that happen that I cannot explain than I can explain. Walk in a room and disaster has hit a loving, faithful Christian family. And I walk in a room, they look at me. Oh man, I apologize for making this stuff look easy. It's not. I want to I bore you or gross you out with the bathroom trips I made just this morning before I can get up here and deliver this message. It's tough. Let alone how to walk in a room and see family members that love God and some tragedy happens. Just don't know. One day we will. But what I do know is that the trials and tribulations and the sufferings on this life is not even to be compared. Your best day at Disney World, which is the greatest day you had in your remembrance, is not even to be compared with the worst day that you even have in the presence of God.
Come on, church. We got to get that. And this game making. This one. Honey, this is the before life. Let's just screw everybody up when we go to work. That's why he said, no, this is, we, ain't, we ain't waiting for the afterlife. We're trying to get out of this before life. If I can get through this before life, then I'm going to really experience life when I am with him and he is with me. He will wipe every tear from my eyes. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. And God himself will be with me and I will be with him. Well, what about this? How about this happen? How does that happen? I don't know, but all I do know is, is that God is a loving God. He's a rightful judge. See, if he allows people to come into a perfect heaven, unperfect, unrepented people, then it would not make heaven perfect anymore. You said, oh, 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 I got you now, brother preacher. So I got to watch words now. Stuff I got preached 30 years ago, you can't just say now. Oh, I hear what you're saying now. Only perfect people are going, no, 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 it's perfect. But we're forgiven. We're repentant. Not just 20 years ago when we got saved, every single day. God, thank you for your grace. And his grace follows obedience. If God allows unrepented people into a perfect place called heaven, then people's going to crash into perfect sacrifice of Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. See what I just said? Oh, well, well, if, if Skeeter over there who, who blasphemed the name of God, if he's going to go to heaven because God is a loving God, and I believe he is, then, then we got to question the validity of the deity of the perfect person of Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you, just as Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God, which is the price paid for our sins, we have a problem with a person not receiving their just payment for their sins. But we celebrate the one who took the just payment for my sins and my faith and my trust and my hope every single day is in a loving God that he allowed his only son to pay the penalty for my sin and everybody else says to hell with that Jesus to excuse our sin will require God to be less than just but God is just. Amen? I said he's just. He's just. He's just. If you can't trust him whether the unrepentant sinner is going to go to hell, then you can't really guarantee that if you're living your life every single day for God, if you're guaranteed to go where you'll get. You don't know if he's just or not. I'm here to tell you he's just. He's just because he's, he's a loving God and he's a good God and that no man, every person, Every person has whatever it takes to make a decision to come to Christ. You just have to be blessed that you're in a place in a society that you get this kind of deliverance handed to you. And your choices can change your circumstance today if you make the right choice. Everybody stand. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord God forever. Look at me. See, if he forced us to love him, why don't he just force the people to do it? Then it'd be no different than this phone right here. That's not love. That's not love. Love is only when it comes voluntarily. Come on, everybody, look at me now. Give me two seconds. It's Valentine's Day. Love. 
Some people, you feel like you got to love because you have to. Oh, I got to love this person. They're a good worker, but man, they get on my last nerve. I love you. How are you today? That's awesome. True love is voluntary. You don't have to love God, but you do. That's what true love is. We cannot love God unless we have the option of not loving Him. That's the reason why we go through what we go through. That's why the enemy comes against us. That's why he comes asks for everything he has because he looks down at us this morning. He sees a gathering of people on a rainy Valentine's pandemic Sunday morning and he looks and he sees that we have the opportunity or the option to not love him, but we do. And he looks down at us and he says, this is why I love my people because they don't have to, but they love me anyway and he's a loving just God so I don't have a lot of answers for you today I don't have a lot of answers for you today I've, I've done my assignment but what I am here to tell you is there's a lot of mysteries out there about God that we just does not know but I want you to understand this right now every single thing that we question flows out of this statement God is love and we don't have to understand it. But even when we don't understand it, there's some kind of love going to come out of this. I don't know what it is, I don't know where it's going. I have left some of you guys' houses, kit to the driveway, man and just cry and say, God, why are they having to go through what they're going through, God? Why? Why am I in the position and trying to come up with something and tell them, God, I don't know. And before I can get back to church, before I can get home, the Spirit of God reminds me, but He's a loving God, but He's a just God. There is no, there is nothing unloving about Him. And on this side of heaven, we might not understand it, but I tell you, when life begins up in eternal life, we're going to understand the things there that we don't suppress the truth what is the truth that the world needs to hear God is love and if God is love you're going to have an opportunity to live and rule and reign with him forever and ever amen we hope you enjoyed this sermon from our weekend experience if you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced you can donate by texting any amount to 84321 or visiting our website highestpraisechurch.com if you want to connect with our local church and stay up to date with events, you can fill out a digital connect card, which is also on our website. We'll see you soon.